The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Hey, so every Wednesday at camp, Zach mentioned it, we, we stop and we focus on man, godly manhood, godly womanhood. What does it look like to be sexually pure? Uh, we look at relationships done God's way. And to be honest, this is not teaching that is popular today in, in the world at large. Like if you were to plop down five of your non-believing friends from school into this session right here, they'd be like, what cult? Uh, wh- wh- what are y'all even talking about? Because we're going to be talking about sexuality this morning, particularly about sexual purity. <clears throat> and to be real, your non-believing friends would go, what are you aiming for? Sexual purity? Why? What is the, why would you not hook up with who you want to hook up with? This doesn't even make sense. I think, you know, a lot of times we think about this issue and it's confusing. And even we've gotten sexual purity in the church confused sometimes. I remember like back when, when I was in youth group a hundred years ago, uh, we, uh, we had this thing called true love weights. You don't know what that is? Only the youth pastors, only the old farts are like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so True Love Waits was a thing back in the 90s. We did this thing where it it was actually a pretty cool thing, but it was kind of an event that you would put on at your church that was saying, like, I'm going to save sex for marriage. And you kind of went through the weekend, had a bunch of teaching about it, and, you know, like some groups, like, signed a commitment, I'm going to not have sex until marriage. Some groups did like a ring and stuff like that. But I remember even as a 14-year-old sitting through that teaching and they were saying, man, just don't have sex until you're married. Just don't have sex until you're married. And I remember thinking, I can do that. There's a lot of fun stuff you can do without actually like going all the way. Okay, I'll sign that card. This sounds sounds all right. And You know, a lot of people were treating it kind of like that, I gave my word to stop at third, you know, situation. It's like, well, I don't know if that's really sexual purity, purity. Because when you're talking about something that's pure, we're comparing it back to an attribute of God, right? We think about purity. Purity comes from who God is. And that's what we talked about last night when, when Bertie was talking. Like, God is all pure. There's no, like, First uh, John says this, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. I think he's totally, totally, totally pure. You know, in First Peter then, this is crazy, it says, God is holy, totally pure, so you be holy, totally pure. And a lot of us right off the bat are like, well, I'm out. Like, I can't do that. I can't be, I can't be pure. You know, Ephesians 5 takes it further and says, therefore, you be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It goes on and says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Another version says, there can't even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. And a lot of us are like, dang it, well, I'm out. You know, because we think about this is the standard set for believers as far as purity goes. Be imitators of God, the all pure. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. All right, pause. What is sexual immorality? Y'all know what that is? Uh, just a working definition we use here is a lot of times like anything that God intends for a man and woman to experience 
in marriage, whether that's sexually, emotionally, physically, that they experience outside of marriage. It's behaving like you're married when you're not. And this could be something that you do emotionally. It could be something sexually. It could be something mentally. It could be physically. But this is a tall order when you think about it. Purity, as far as sexuality goes, don't just be pure with your body. Be pure with your thoughts. Y'all, that's impossible. Right? Let's get real. When we think about sexual purity, it's like, I, I, I can't do that. Well, just wait. It gets even more impossible. Because the scripture references lust. Y'all know what that is? It's basically like, in, in this context, a lot of times it's, it's a sexual wanting, like a sexual desire. It's looking at somebody and wanting to have sex with them. We're looking at somebody and imagining yourself doing sexual things with them. And it's basically, it's saying sexual immorality is not just something you do with your hands. It's something that goes on in your mind. And not just that, it's something that goes on in your wants. And all of us are like, Great, I'm out. All right, I, I, how am I supposed to live holy? Not just with my hands, but with my thoughts and my wants too. You can't control your wants. How are you supposed to resist all this? Okay, just wait. It gets even more impossible, all right? Because our culture at large is pushing you towards sexual immorality, like giving you a, a shove towards it. I went in that gas station over there not too long ago, and uh, I walked in the door, and I was studying for this session, so of course this stuff was on my mind, and I walked in the door and that WAP song was playing that was popular back in the winter, and I remember thinking, oh dang, that, this is very sexual. And then I look over to my right, and there's a magazine rack, which was also really sexual. And of course this stuff was going through my mind, and I thought, I'm gonna see how many things in this one gas station are trying to push me towards sex. Between, you know, just the condoms or the pills at the counter or the song on the radio or the magazines, I counted 13 things. 13 things in a gas station, y'all. In a gas station was pushing me towards sex. How, how are we supposed to live pure? We got this impossible standard. Be holy just like God is. And then we got an a relentless enemy, the world's pushing us towards sexual immorality. And then to be real, we got our own desires that are betraying us. Like, because let's be real. If you're a Christian, part of you wants to be holy and part of you doesn't. Part of you wants to be holy and part of you wants to sleep around. How, how in the world are you supposed to live pure? Because it seems like on our own, like we're set for failure. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you just two rays of hope and then one kind of call to action for us because we are called to purity, but I want to look at what that looks like. First, first bright ray of hope for us. If you are a Christian, pause, that's not everybody in the room. Like we know not everybody that comes with a youth group is a Christian. So if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God himself in the form of a helper, he's inside of you and he's gonna help you fight against sexual sin. What I'm saying is, yeah, on your own, you are set for failure, for sure. But man, the hope is you're not on your own. This is, this, you can do this. You're not on your own. Romans 8 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, pause and think about that for a second, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. He's going to help you out. And then it says, so brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He's saying, since you have the spirit of God inside of you, you don't owe the flesh anything. Like these desires that pop up, these sinful desires, you don't owe them. You don't have to do what they say. And he goes on and says, we've received a new spirit of adoption. 
He's saying we are infused with Christ's own holiness and Christ's own power. Yes, on your own, you're set for failure, but you are not on your own. That's the first ray of hope. The second ray of hope, and we need to hear this even at the beginning because there's probably some of you that when we start this session out saying, we're going to talk about sexual purity, some of y'all go, oh, gosh. Because some of y'all are living in guilt over past sin. Everybody in the room that's past puberty is a sexual sinner. That's just it. Yeah, you know, we've sinned in our minds, we've sinned in our wants, we've sinned with our bodies. Some level, everybody in the room, y'all, then is an adulterer. That's heavy stuff to hear on a Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock, but it's real. And some of y'all need to hear that lest you think, man, I'm the only one. No, we just said this is, this is kind of an impossible game here. We're striving for holiness, but every one of us needs the second ray of hope, which is there is forgiveness in Jesus, and praise the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 4, in fact, says that, he says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so we can find mercy, I'm sorry, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this is good, man. We all need forgiveness. You're not the dirty one. You know what I'm saying? Just to give you hope, because some of y'all, like, you're living in shame and guilt from past things thinking about that one thing that was done to you, that one thing that you did, man, there's no sin of yours that's stronger than God's grace, period. You can't out-sin the grace of God. Man, there's hope, there's forgiveness. You're not like damaged goods because you've sinned. We all have sinned, right? That's why we need Christ's holiness. That thing that you did, if you're a Christian, that doesn't define you. You know what I'm saying? Even someone else's sin, that, that thing that someone else did to you, that thing doesn't define you. If you're a Christian, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that's the deepest part of you. There's forgiveness in Christ, man. And it, when we think about the, the phrases that are used to describe the forgiveness of Jesus, man, it's amazing. It's almost like God was like, all right, these guys aren't going to get it. How can I explain it? How can I explain that their sins are gone, like for real, for real gone? And he's like, okay, I take your sins. Even though they're red like crimson, I make them white like snow. Do you get that one? Okay. Well, then I take your sins. I remove them as far as the east is to the west. That's, I mean, forever, forever. Do you get that one? Okay. I take your sins and I bury them at the bottom of the ocean. I make them disappear like a cloud. The God who never forgets says, I take your sins and I remember them never, no, remember them no more. The God who never forgets chooses to forget your sin. He's using all these analogies to say it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, 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 gone. I mean, you have the purity of Jesus now. So for some of y'all, man, you need to hear this because it's time to stop wallowing in past sin and start fighting towards purity, towards holiness. So two rays of hope. Number one, yeah, on your own, you're set for failure. But if you're a Christian, you're not on your own. And number two, praise the Lord for all of us. There is forgiveness in Christ. All of us need it period. So number three, let me give you a call to action. You're expected to fight against sexual sin. You personally, not just us as Christians, but you personally are expected to fight against sexual sin. There is some like fight and workout language in the scripture. Uh, Titus, I'm, I'm sorry, First Timothy says, train yourself for godliness, like work out towards godliness. Uh, Titus says, 
the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We hear these verses a lot of times and we're like, <sighs> like, I'm not super disciplined. I don't want to hear about training yourself. I can't train myself to get out of the bed in the morning. Like most of us in general are not like the uber disciplined people. Uh, example, how you doing on your news resolutions? Pretty good. Like we're, we're halfway there. You guys halfway to your goals? Most of us are like, no. You know, most of us read, you know, like a, look at Instagram or whatever and see The Rock, you know, or he's up at three in the morning, like rise and grind. And we're like, no, sleep and sleep. I, no, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm, not, I'm not down with that, you know. But, but we hear these stories of these like uber disciplined people and we're like, no, nah, that's not me. There's a girl, you ever heard this girl named Jasmine Harrison? Very few have, but she's, okay. So this girl's 21 years old and she wakes up one morning and says, you know what I would like to do? I would like to row in a rowboat from Spain to America by myself in the winter. It's like, do what? And so she does. She hops in a rowboat by herself, 21 years old. This girl, she says, she just rowed in a rowboat all the way from Spain to the United States. It was 3,000 miles. It took her 70 days. Through the winter, she turned her boat over two times as she's just rowing along, says she rode for two hours, slept for two hours, rode for two hours, slept for two hours. Says she lived off of just Nutella and peanut butter, which that part I can get on board with. The rest of it, I'm like, mm, heck no. There's nothing about that that appeals to me. Like, I'm just going to row across the ocean by myself. Like, we put that sort of person in a different category, right? There's people, and then there's that, whatever, that, you know, like... That's, that's the uber-disciplined, you know, like, and, you know, even in the Bible, a lot of times we can categorize the other, you know, like, we hear stories about Daniel in the Bible. My man was, his whole nation was uprooted and taken to another nation where they were totally re-educated. These young men were castrated. They were totally re-educated. I mean, they, this nation did everything they could to make Daniel and his friends forget about the Lord. And Daniel said, despite all of this, he says, I resolve not to defile myself. And we're like, yeah, that guy's in the other category. A lot of us think, man, I'm just not disciplined enough. I'm not one of those. I'm not disciplined enough to fight against sexual sin. Like, I can't stop giving in with my girlfriend. Like, I can't stop looking at porn. I'm not disciplined like that. I'm going to give you one of my favorite quotes. Everyone is disciplined if the stakes are high enough. Think about that for a minute. Everyone is disciplined if the stakes are high enough. Y'all get it. But it's, it's like, you know, you got a guy that's like eating himself to death. You know, and he's like, man, I can't exercise. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Until a doctor says, hey, man, if you don't exercise, you are going to die. You know what that guy just got really good at? Exercise, right? Oh, just found the discipline to do it. You know, uh, we see this a lot of times where, where folks, when the stakes get high enough, they're like, oh, they find the discipline. Maybe, maybe folks that you know, can't stop drinking until they realize, oh, this is going to kill me. All of a sudden, they find more discipline, you know? And we, we talk to people all the time, you know, where they're like, man, I can't, I can't stop looking at porn. I, I just can't stop. I, truly, I cannot stop looking at it. And, and you ask them a question like, okay, so what happens if your mom walks in the room? Can you stop looking at porn then? Yes. Yes, I can. 
okay. So the discipline, you, you could always stop. You just needed the right motivation, right? Guys, I talk to guys at camp a lot that are like, man, I can't stop messing around with my girlfriend. I, you know, I just can't, I, we can't quit, man. It's just, you know, we can't stop, look, uh, we can't start messing around. And I think, okay, if her dad walks in while you're messing around, can you stop? Oh, heck yeah, we can stop. Okay, then you could always stop. You just needed the right motivation. You know what I mean? Like your motivation to live just outweighed your motivation to mess around. But like, Everybody is disciplined if the stakes are high enough. These aren't like spiritual realities. These are just realities. But let me tell y'all, man, maybe you don't realize this, but the stakes are super high for you guys. When we talk about sexual immorality, the, our culture wants to tell you, just whatever, just whatever, but the stakes are super high. You look at the scriptures. In Matthew 5, it says, you've heard that it was, this is Jesus talking. He says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, which is, Y'all know what adultery is. It's sleeping with somebody you're not married to, right? You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Y'all, the stakes are super high. This isn't just looking at somebody and being like, imagine yourself having sex with them. And that's no big deal. He's, he's saying here, no, that's adultery. There's another verse in uh, 1 Corinthians where he's talking about the body. He says, the body's not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord. And then he goes on and basically, let me paraphrase. He says, you know that when you become a Christian, you're one with the Lord, right? You become one with him. Well, you also know when you have sex with somebody, you become one with them. So then he makes a comparison and says, so then should I take the Lord and a prostitute and make them one together? And he's like, no, may it never be. Whoever sins, he says, uh, he says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Y'all, those are high stakes. You, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And to look at someone with lustful intent is committing adultery. Man, the stakes are high when we look at the scriptures. The stakes are high when we think about our churches, man. Y'all know how many churches we see come through here every year? It's in between four and 500. It's a lot of churches. So do you know how many stories, I mean, we hear of marriages devastated by sexual sin? Over and over and over every week, we hear stories of marriages that are devastated by adultery, by porn. What's even worse is like you think, I read a porn stat that says 70% of church members, members, look at porn once a week. Something's wrong. 85% of church members look at porn at least every other week. Y'all, the stakes are super high. This is destroying our marriages, and it's like, ah, man. And what's even, what's even bigger, if you think, man, everybody's disciplined if the stakes are high enough, your wants are trying to kill you. Because part of you wants Christ and part of you wants to mess around. You know what I'm saying? Like 1 Peter 2 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, the wants of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Your wants are trying to kill you spiritually. Man, the stakes are high. Everybody's disciplined that the stakes are high enough. The stakes are high enough. But man, so is the power to fight it. So is the power to fight it. Christ can do this. This isn't like the unbeatable enemy. Uh, John 3 says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Pause. 
That doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect if you're a Christian or even if you're really trying to walk in Christ. He's saying nobody who's born of God can happily practice sexual sin or any sin. Like no one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in him and he can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Man, this isn't the unbeatable enemy. You have Christ living inside of you. But man, you can't play with this one. You can't play around with this. Like you can't coexist with it. You know what I'm saying? This is a wolf. You can't play with a wolf. You got to kill it. So I got, I got three kids. Uh, I got two girls and a boy, and they're awesome. And we, at our house, we have three dogs, and we have, oh gosh, right now we have six rabbits, all right, which is six too many. But one of my daughters is like Dr. Doolittle, so she like loves animals and stuff, and so so we're out at the fire the other night. Uh, well, this is a while back. So we're out at the fire, and... Uh, it was just me and my younger daughter and my son. We're sitting out at a fire in our front yard. And uh, my daughter says, oh, daddy, can I go grab one of the rabbits? And she just wanted to snuggle with the rabbit while she's by the fire. And I was like, great, let's do it. And so she runs over and grabs this rabbit named Dash. And Dash is like this big, fat, white and brown rabbit. And so she brings Dash over and she sits down in her little chair. And she's just petting Dash like this, sitting by the fire. And she's like, daddy. Dash loves me so much. Look at him. Look how much he loves me, Daddy. He's so cute. You know, and her voice goes like supersonic, like, you know. And so she's just petting that rabbit, and she's like, he loves me so much. Look how much he loves me. I look over at Dash, and he's like. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, he loves me so much. And I said, baby, that rabbit don't love you. And she's like, Daddy, he does look at him. I said, look, if you were to take both hands off of that rabbit and count to 10 he is gone like gone gone she's like no daddy he's like pew that rabbit went I mean flying into all these thorns and she's like dash no and then 45 minutes we're out there with flashlights going dash come back it didn't work he's back now and now he runs away once a week but anyway you see what I'm saying like for her she was like Man, this rabbit loves you. That rabbit was looking for an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? The first opportunity she let up, that thing took advantage of it. You see what I'm saying? When we talk about sexual sin, like this isn't the unbeatable enemy, but it is looking for every opportunity. You can't let up. You can't be like, I'm good. Like it's going to, your wants are trying to kill you. Here's the thing, Christ didn't just die to forgive you for sexual sin, but to empower you to fight against it. There's a verse in Romans that says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So death has no dominion over Christ. And then it goes on and say, so don't, he's talking to you, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't let sin reign. And he goes on and says, because sin won't have dominion over you. He's saying death doesn't have dominion over Christ. So sin doesn't have dominion over you. So in light of that, he says, don't let sin reign or be king. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You don't have to come running when your flesh says, do this, touch this. I told you I got three dogs. So my favorite of the three dogs, his name's Buck. He's a black lab and he's, man, he's awesome. He's the perfect dog. He barks at weird people, licks nice people. He's like perfect. He's wonderful. And so, but he's also a little bit stupid um, because he's a dog. Uh, But so Buck is an outside dog. So he just roams, he sleeps, 
wherever. You know, he just, he roams around, except if it's like super cold. If it's below 20, we'll let Buck sleep in the house in this little crate because we're nice people. And so uh, basically like, but he hates sleeping in the crate. He really hates it. He loves the freedom. And so it'll be funny because on those nights where it's super, super cold, I'll go out on the porch and I'll be like, hey, Buck, Buck, hey, come on. And he'll think, oh, we going to play? We're going we gonna to play. And he gets so excited. And he's like, <laughs> and his tail's wagging so hard that his whole body is like wiggling. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's thinking, we're going to get pet. We're going to throw a ball. I don't know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? And I'm like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy. And I'm petting him and stuff. And he don't know where we're headed. The crate. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I open the door. I'm like, come on in, buddy. Hey, come on, come on, come on. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, come on, hop in this crate. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Until the door goes click. And he's like, and I swear he is the most dramatic dog in the world because he makes this noise that no dog has, I've ever heard. He goes, like, like a human and flops down like, like all dramatic. It's, it's really funny. But you know what's funny? You know what's going to happen the very next night? The same dang thing. I'm going to be like, hey, Buck, come on, buddy. And he's going to be like, yeah, 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 and I'm like, hey, come on, come on, come on, hey, come on in this crate, he's like, yeah, 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 click, <laughs> you know why, because he's a dog, that's it, and I'm his master, and I get to call the shots, and he's got to come pretty much, because that's his nature, what I'm saying is like, this verse is saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. When your flesh, when your body says, ooh, look at that. Come on. You don't have to do that. You're not a debtor to the flesh. You don't owe that to the flesh. You have the spirit of Jesus himself live inside of you. Don't let sin reign and all of a sudden be king and be like, oh, man, I, I got to look at this. Come on. All right, pause. This is all well and good, but l let me get real for a minute because most of the time, the problem for us isn't I can't resist it. Our problem is I kind of don't want to resist it. If we're being real, right? Most of the time, our problem isn't I can't resist I know I can. Everybody's disciplined if the stakes are high enough. Our problem is, I, man, I kind of don't want to resist it. I mean, I, I want to resist some things, but if I get an opportunity to sleep with them or if I get an opportunity to look at that, I kind of don't want to resist that one. Ugh. Part of us wants to be holy and part of us doesn't. Here's the reality. Oftentimes we don't want to be free. We, we do when we're at camp. We're in this phase. We're like, yeah, man, purity, purity. When we're in that phase, but really outside of this, our desires show our actions a lot of times. There has to be a change in our wants if there's going to be a change in our actions. That's just it. If your wants don't change, there's not going to be a change in your actions. You see this a lot of times with, you know, folks that have addiction issues. Now, there's a lot of other things going on with addiction issues, but you see a guy get locked up. You know, he's a drunk or whatever, and he gets locked up, and he's in jail for 8, 10 years, and you think, oh, my man's sober. He's good to go. He hadn't had access in 8 or 10 years. What happens when he gets out? Well, there's a lot of different factors, you know, his, his home group, what he's used to, his economic situation, but there's also, you haven't cured the want. You know what I'm saying? You just got a dry drunk, man. For a lot of us, you know, you may not have access to sexual immorality right here, but you might just be a dry drunk because you haven't 
cured the actual want, if there's going to be a change in your actions, it's going to start with your wants. Ephesians 4 tells us this. It says, put off the old man and put on the new man. But there's a phrase that pays in the middle. It says, put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new man. What does that mean? The spirit of your mind. It's not mystical. It's just saying like your mindset, your wants, your, your bent. Behavior change has to happen on a desire level. I'll give you an illustration. My favorite food in the world, hands down, always has been fried chicken. I love it. I love it too much, too much. And there's a good fried, fried chicken place in town. Woo. All right, so my least favorite food in the world, it's tacos. Me, y'all shut up. This is my favorite food. <laughs> Act like you just cooked me some tacos. Man, you, you gonna boo me on this? This is my opinion. I stand by it. All right, let me explain. I'm not talking about the, I'm not talking about a nice like grilled shrimp and a soft taco. Man, I like that sort of thing. I'm talking about your traditional garbagey hard shell with the uh, seasoned ground beef in there and the tomatoes and bleh, uh, Mm. All right, so if you were to put mm, a beautiful plate of fried chicken right here and you were to put a plate of garbage, tacos, right? <laughs> a plate of tacos right here, I'm gonna tell you, given the choice 100 times out of 100, I'm gonna choose the fried chicken. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to choose differently unless you were, I'd never choose that unless you were to somehow get deep in here and rewire my wants, you know, rewire my sense of taste. You'd have to, because motivation, y'all, sometimes when you leave camp, you get real hype, real motivated. Motivation is garbage. It is. It's like sugar. You get real hype for a second, and then it wears off, and you're like, oh, man, I was really motivated a minute ago. You know, if you want real change, it has to happen deeper. It has to happen on a desire level, for real. There has to be change in our desires, and that's where a lot of us lose hope because we're like, then I'm done because I can't change what I want. I can't change my desires. You're exactly right, but Jesus can. Jesus can change your desires. That's precisely why a relationship with Christ and then an ongoing growth with Christ is crucial because you have this initial desire change when you come to know him. That's why part of you wants holiness. But then you need an ongoing change that happens every single day. Every single day. Every single day. There are no days off for a Christian. Period. You are today on Wednesday. You're either growing towards Christ or away from Christ. You know, this... You have a desire level change, and that desire change starts to forge new habits. Let me tell you this. So you talk about desire change. The best advice I can give you for fighting against sexual sin, the best advice, if I can sum it all up in one thing, the best advice I can give you for fighting against lust and premarital sex and later on extramarital sex to, for fighting against OnlyFans and Pornhub and physical relationships and sexting, the best advice I can give you is y'all need to study your Bibles. That may sound like, what? That was yesterday. Yeah. What I'm saying is, if behavior change happens on a desire level, desire change happens right here. You see what I'm saying? 
You have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which means your wants have to become Christ's wants. And for him to rewire your wants, it's going to have to happen right here. That may sound so off topic or impractical. It's not, man. Desire level change is going to happen right here, little by little. Remember, we talked about that 2 Corinthians passage yesterday, beholding the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into that same image. The more you look at Jesus, the more you look like Jesus. Man, I hope this is a great week for y'all at camp, for real. And camp is an awesome, I've been here for 21 years, which is longer than all y'all been alive. But man, camp's an awesome place to work, but it's also a weird place to work. It's awesome because, you know, I get to do this, tell people about Jesus, and then go mountain biking. So I'm cheating life. It's perfect. It's wonderful. But it's also a weird place to work because we see groups like y'all, you get hype about Jesus, and then we don't see what happens next. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a gap that happens before we see you again, you know? And so like all the time, students would get on the bus on Saturday, and they got this motivation spike, you know, where they're like, I'm going to do it this time. You know, kids will get on the bus, you know, and they'll be like, man, that's it. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to read my Bible six times a day, seven times a day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to break up my girlfriend because I know that relationship's terrible now. I'm going to do it. Man, I love you, Snowbird. Good night. You know, and then the door is shut, and the bus is like, and we're all standing there like, all right, man. I hope so. And then we don't see y'all for a while. So we don't see like the sequel, you know? But until next year, and that same bus, same doors, same kid that last time was like, you know, same kid walks out and we're like, hey man, how'd it go? Man, last time I saw you, man, it was like, man, I'm gonna break up with this girl. I'm gonna study my Bible all day, all day. How'd it go? 90% of the time, the guy's like, oh, yeah. I mean, not so great, you know, okay, all right, so last year, you know, we were talking, yeah, I was going to break up with that girl, right, so I sat down next to my girlfriend to break up with her, we started, you know, making out, so that did not go as planned, uh, and then, you know, uh, man, we got home, I was so, man, I was so sleepy, so I couldn't get up to study my Bible that next m- month, month, uh, so I don't know, it, it, it didn't go great, for real, y'all about tired of that? You're about tired of going to some camp and getting hype or a great service at your church or whatever. You're tired of getting hype, and then two weeks later, it's like back to where you were. Hype, back to where you were. Hype, back to where you were. You tired of that cycle, man? Because I'm tired of it. You know the way to not do that? Because, again, you come here and you hear a lot of the word. You go to church and you hear a lot of the word. But then if you're starving yourselves for the other days, man, it's going to tank. Your motivation is going to run dry. You need desire change, and that happens slowly, little by little by little as you walk with Christ. Galatians 6 tells us this, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Hang on to that verse, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. You want to know how not to gratify or give in to the desires of the flesh? Walk by the Spirit. That's not mystical. Walk by the Spirit. Like, it's just methodical. You're spending time with Jesus. You're walking with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. But here's the real deal. Your, man, sexual temptation is not going to go away. It's here to stay until you die. But, man, so is the Word. So is the Spirit of God. 
man, you guys, y'all can do this. Now, tonight in your share groups, you need to talk about some practical strategies to fight against lust. Because some of y'all, temptation's not a sin, but some of y'all, you can't be an idiot about it. I talk to some guys that are like, man, I can't stop looking at porn late at night on my phone when I'm alone in my room. And I'm like, well, you're kind of an idiot. So take your phone out of your room late at night alone. You know, like get you an old school alarm clock, you know. So y'all need to talk about those strategies. But the real zoom out bigger strategy is, man, we pursue sexual pur- purity by pursuing Christ. And he's going to rewrite our wants to make us want to do what he wants to do. And then from there, we put in the, the smaller practical steps. Talk about this resolve for good. I want to read this last verse when we're done. Second Thessalonians 1, it says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The prayer is that God may fulfill every resolve for good. Here's the deal. If you're resolved to live holy, that's not your resolve. That's Jesus's. Thank you, Lord. That desire change has happened initially, and now we need to be disciplined to pursue that every day. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.